Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. You know what's interesting is that uh, we just finished a series, I don't I was like 12 weeks on prepare. <laughs> and, uh, and today's message title is Prepare. Even though it's a different series, God is speaking to us. Is the church listening? Are his people listening? Or have we become so complacent and dull of hearing that we're not hearing what he's saying? So I'm starting a new series called The Race today, and today's message is prepare. My first point is our heart directs our life. And let me say this another way. Our heart directs our journey to our destination. I wasn't sure which one to make as the point, so I'm using both of them today. But in reality, our heart directs our journey to our destination. Is your heart in alignment with God's purpose and plan for you? You know that, uh, that God called Abraham to be the father of many nations, not just the nation of Israel, but of many nations. And the focus that God had with Abraham was to have a relationship with him and also for a nation that would serve him and know him in a personal way. And over time, that shift, that, that focus shifted to becoming more lawful and more religious. And the same can happen to us. Have you... Can you think back when you first got saved, how excited you were? You wanted to tell everybody about this newfound relationship that you have with Jesus. And I love seeing new believers because they're just on fire and they're so excited. But it seems like as we grow and go through our relationship with the Lord, that fire kind of subsides. And, and we can get caught up in, in all kinds of things. But the, the main thing that we need to remember is that it's about this relationship with the Lord. And today in Israel, there are the Orthodox Jews. And you've probably seen pictures of them. And when we were over there a month or so ago, we saw many of them. And, and they wear black suits, uh, white shirts, and a black hat. And they have the little ringlets on their, you know, their hair comes down. And, and they're lawful. Which is, is not necessarily horrible that they want to keep the law, but many of them are so steeped in the law that they forget that it's about a relationship. And Jesus had significant issues with the Pharisees and the religious leaders when he walked the earth because they placed law and religion above their relationship with God. And today I want to talk a little bit about Paul. Paul was a, a Pharisee. He, was, he calls himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was at the elite uh, religious leaders. Some background on Paul. Um, in Acts chapter 14, it talks of it's the, the, uh, uh, the story, the history of, of Paul's first mis missionary journey. And this was in about 48 A.D., and he traveled through modern day, what, what is now known as modern day Turkey, and he was traveling through that area. And he went to a place called Iconium, and uh, uh, Paul was traveling with Barnabas. 
And they begin to preach this, this gospel of Christ. And they begin to see many Jews and Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles were non-Jews. Uh, they begin to see many Jews and Gentiles get saved and, and saw many miracles. God was moving powerfully. But many of the Jews begin to, to talk against Paul and Barnabas in this message that they were bringing about Christ. And they turned some of the hearts of the people against them, even though they had seen God moving powerfully. And so Paul and Barnabas found out that some of these guys were going to stone them or wanted to stone them. And so they left and they went to another town or area called Lystra. And while they were there, Paul, Paul began to preach again powerfully. God began to move and the scripture says in Acts 14 that he looked and he saw a man that had faith to be healed. He was operating by the power of the Holy Spirit that had come upon him and that was leading him. And he looked and he saw a man that had been crippled from birth that, that couldn't walk. And he said, get up and walk. And so the man immediately got up and walked. And so the people there in Lystra began to say, oh, these guys are gods. We need to offer sacrifices to them. And, and Paul's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. We're just regular men. We're not gods, but we serve a God that is powerful. And you're seeing the results of God working through our lives and healing this man and some of the things that were going on. But some of the Jews and some of the people that were in Iconium came down to Lystra, and they, they began to speak against Paul and, and what was going on there. And they turned the hearts of the people against Paul. And they took him out, and they, they stoned him. <laughs> and they, they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. But the believers gathered around Paul. And, and Paul was not dead. Or Paul was raised from the dead. It doesn't really indicate in the scripture. But Paul went back into the city. <laughs> and it just I think just to show them the power of God. Listen, when God has a purpose and a plan and calling for your life, the hell cannot come against it. If you're willing to yield and go through what God is calling you to go through, he'll get you where you need to be. But what's in our heart? Have we determined to follow God's purpose and plan for our lives? And so, anyway, the next day they left. The people, you know, they were, they were pagans. They worshipped Zeus. And they had these pagan temples. And, and they wanted to go and offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas in their, in their pagan temples. And Paul's like, no, no. And so after they had uh, threatened to stone him, or after they did stone him, and, and uh, he left... They, they continued on their journey. One of the things I wanted to say this morning is people can be very fickle. Think about Jesus. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday when he was riding into Jerusalem on the colt donkey. And, and people were, were laying down their coats and their clothes and, and palm branches. And, and they were saying, Hosanna to God in the highest. And they were worshiping Jesus. And a few days later, some of those people, those same people were probably saying, crucify him. Today's service uh, series is uh, the race. The sermon is prepare. It's easy to be drawn off 
and uh, you know, people to attack you when you're following God's purpose and plan. You know, they'll love you one day and they'll be stabbing you in the back the next. Are we prepared for that? Are we committed to the Lord? My first point is our heart directs our life. My second point is our commitment is critical. I remember when God, when the Lord called us to Pioneer Life Fellowship, I went and talked with a pastor. I went and talked to several different pastors. And I said, hey, God's calling us to start this church. Do you have any insight, wisdom, any counsel, anything that, that you could share with me? And this one pastor was so demeaning. He was so discouraging. And he said, yeah, I talk with 10 or 12 of you guys every year, and I try to discourage you from getting into ministry. And I'm, I'm thinking, why? Why would you do that? If, if God has called somebody into ministry, why would you try to discourage them? And I remember it, I had to drove, drive all the way to, like, to Richmond or somewhere, you know. And I remember being in the car crying. I was so discouraged. And I felt like the Lord told me, a man didn't call you to this. If a man can talk you out of it, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. And I had a new resolve. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, God, that's right. And so as we go, as we run our race, there will be hindrances. There will be people that will try to talk us out of that or try to get us off track. But our commitment is critical. Thirteen years after Paul was stoned in Lystra, in approximately 61 AD, Paul is writing to the Christians, the believers in Philippi. And he, he tells them about his life, about his transformation. See, when, when Paul, even though Paul was a religious leader, he was the cream of the crop of the Pharisees. When he had an encounter with Jesus, it changed his heart. It changed his perspective it changed his life. And so Paul's in, in, uh, here in Philippians, he's writing about his life before Christ. He's talking about his Jewish roots and his heritage. He's talking about his spiritual, Jewish spiritual pedigree as a respected Pharisee. He was without fault. He strictly maintained all of the laws and all the requirements and followed all the religious laws. Because, see, the Pharisees thought that their relationship with God was based on their performance and keeping the law, all of the laws. Unfortunately, the, the Pharisees that mandated all of these rules and, and put all this pressure on the people could not keep all the laws themselves. They added hundreds of laws. Okay, we know there's Ten Commandments, but... They went back in the Old Testament and they found that there were 613 commands. But if that wasn't enough, they added more than 1,500 laws on top of those laws. Because they said, hey, we want to try to help people stay within the boundaries. And what they were doing is they were just putting extra burden on people. In Exodus 20.10, it says, do not work on the Sabbath. Okay, so we know that we are to take a day off. Pastor Christina and I work on Sunday, so Sunday is not our day off, but we take another day off during the week. But the, the Pharisees added these fence laws to try to help people stay within the boundaries of the law. 
Let me give you some examples. One of these fence laws was no spitting on the Sabbath. You could not spit on the Sabbath. Do you know why? Because it would disturb the dirt and you would be guilty of plowing. Okay? No swatting of a fly on the Sabbath. Here's a good one. Because then you would be guilty of hunting. We're going to have a barbecue in a couple of weeks. I need you to all go out and hunt some flies. Bring a whole bunch back so the Spice of Life team can barbecue the flies. <laughs> Women, you, you shouldn't look at your reflection because you may see a gray hair and decide to pluck it out. That would be work. So don't even look at your reflection on the Sabbath. Placing a pin on your lapel. Oh, no, uh-uh. No, that's work. And Jesus even, he got on the Pharisees, he said, look, if, if your ox fell in a ditch, you'd pull it out. But, there, but they had some loopholes now, okay? One of them was that on the Sabbath, if your house was burning down, you could not carry out your clothes. That would be work. Now, what you could do is you could put on all your clothes on top of what you're wearing and that would not be work because you're wearing the clothes, you're not carrying the clothes. And Pastor Christine and I were talking about this the other day, and she said, you know, I thought about that, and I thought, maybe that was for them. Because we know that the Pharisees had robes, and they dressed, you know, they, they dressed up. They probably had extra sets of clothes where maybe many of the common people didn't have that many clothes. And that's what Jesus was getting on to the Pharisees about, is that they missed the heart of God. Jesus says in Mark 2, 27, then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Now we know that taking a Sabbath is important. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and so we're supposed to take a day of rest. But the Sabbath was made for us so that we could rest and spend time with the Lord, not be bound up by a bunch of rules and regulations. Philippians 3, 7 through 14. So Paul is writing here and he, and he says, I once thought these things were valuable, talking about the law, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Paul's value system has changed when he has this encounter with Jesus, his heart is changed. His perspective is changed. He goes on to write in verse 8, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the, infin the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The law was set in place to protect people, just like we have laws today. It says stop at the stop sign. Stop at the red light. Drive a certain uh, miles per hour or whatever the speed limits are. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with, this, with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. So we know that the Pharisees, they studied the books of the Bible. They memorized hundreds, thousands of scriptures. Their, the intent was for them to know the law. But he says, I count that as, as garbage 
so that I could gain Christ because these things were hindering me from this relationship with the Lord. To gain, it means to acquire by effort or investment. So Paul was like, I want to apprehend, I want to acquire Jesus more through my effort and through investment. And he was exchanging the things that he once thought were important to gain Christ. Because the law wasn't doing it. The law was about the law and religion. It wasn't about this relationship. Verse 8, let me read this again. For he, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul desired to apprehend Christ. To be connected to him. And the law was a hindrance because the focus was on the law, not on the relationship. In verse 9, he continues, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Because, see, that's what they did. They counted their, their obedience to the law and keeping, you know, dotting every I and crossing every T. That was how they had this relationship with God. And he says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law rather i become righteous through faith in christ which is the truth that's why christ came the messiah came and the pharisees and the religious leaders missed him maybe for selfish reasons because it was threatening their role and their title and their position he understood what christ had done for him Christ does for us what we cannot do for ourselves or what the law could ever do for us. The law doesn't do it. Christ did it. He paid it all. Verse 9 continues, For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So we have to have faith. The word says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And so as we ingest the scripture and the word of God, it changes our heart. It changes our life. It builds our faith. As we walk in this relationship with Christ, we, our faith is built up. As we see God move and do incredible things, move mountains like we sang about today. When God is moving mountains that you know it's only by the hand of God that those things could happen. Now you could justify and rationalize and you know, say, well, you know, it was just a stroke of luck. But when we walk with God, we know in our heart of hearts that God is moving powerfully. And we see him do things that we know that it's only by his power. We have the opportunity to be made right with God. And some people choose to believe some people choose to receive, and some people don't. But he goes on to write in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Paul, who wrote most of the, the New Testament, is always growing in his relationship. He's like, I, I mean, God was moving powerfully through him, and he's like, I want to know him more. And so as we grow in our relationship, it drives us to desire to know Christ more as we yield to him 
and become one with him, as Paul was talking about. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. The, the word says we have the same mighty power of God living in us that raised Christ from the dead. And Paul is saying, I want to know Christ even more intimately. Not just know about him, I want to know him. His heart. I want to experience this power in greater measure. God has given us abundant power. Are we walking in the power and the authority and the dominion that God has called us to walk in? Or are we complacent? Are we asleep? Paul looked at a man and he said, I see faith in that man to be healed. Stand up and walk. Get up. Life-changing power that you have through Christ. Are you allocating that? Are you using that power? Do you even know the power that's in you? The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. <laughs> that should get someone of you excited. We should begin to think differently. We should begin to pray differently. We should begin to act differently. We should begin to live differently. He goes on to say, I want to suffer with him. Oh, that's a great message. Don't you know, I want to suffer with Christ. People would be flocking to the service. Oh, I want to hear about suffering. He says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Paul is willing to suffer and die for his relationship with Christ and for the cause of Christ. I think Paul knew something. I think Paul knew some things. Remember 13 years earlier, he had been stoned, <laughs> left for dead. And Paul says, he says, you know, if, if I'm here on this earth, then I'm, I'm doing the work of the Lord. But when I die, I'm with him. And Paul had a struggle with that. He's like, well, I know I'm, I'm running this race and I still have work to do here, but I want to be with him. So he wasn't wanting to die. He, he, he knew that he had a purpose and a plan. He had a race that he was running that was not yet complete. But he also knew that one day his race would be over and he would be with Jesus. And that would be a glorious day. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So it could have been in this life. Or he could be talking about when Jesus returns. But remember, 13 years before he had faced death, he had been stoned. So he knew what he was talking about. He wasn't just making a statement. Oh, well, I'll die for Christ. No. He really would. He almost did. In verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Paul, a master in the law and religion, a powerful man of God who the Lord worked through his life powerfully. And he's saying, look, I've not, I've not arrived yet. I'm still a work in progress. Can you relate to that? <laughs> But yet God was not looking for perfect people to work through. He's looking for people that are yielded to him and willing to 
allow God to work through our lives. And it doesn't just stop. It just keeps happening as we grow more and more in this relationship. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He's like, I'm I'm not satisfied with staying here. I'm going to continue to press on and press into God. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Stop. Wait a minute. Of all the things that Paul could be saying, he says, but I focus on this one thing. Think about Paul's life. He, before he met Jesus, before he had this encounter with Jesus, he was responsible for the punishment and death of Christians because he thought that they were teaching something against God. He was responsible. The word says that he, held, he was holding uh, people's coat that were stoning Stephen. He was full in on killing these Christians. And he's saying, but this one thing that's important is, well, let's read on. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Do you think he could have been hindered by the past? Could he, could you, do you think he could have been guilt-ridden and shame? Had a lot of shame about what he had done before? And he's saying, forget the past. Look forward to what's ahead. Here's a word for somebody today. Stop beating yourself up. Move on already. Listen, Jesus Paid the price for all of our sins, all of our shortcomings. Can you imagine driving a car and not really looking at the road in front of you, but only looking in the rearview mirror? And you're, you're realizing that you're getting out of your lane because you see that the lane is turning. And so you begin, oh, I need to get back in the lane. What's going to happen? You're going to crash. What if you come to a T or a dead end? But do we do that in our Christian walk? Are we always looking at what we did and our regrets? Listen, (laughs) I have regrets, man. I could have regrets, but I choose to, to move past those things. Listen, if you need to make restitution, if you need to go ask forgiveness, if you need to go restore a relationship, maybe you can't. But you can ask God to forgive you, and you can forgive yourself. You can say, look, I've done everything I can to restore. I messed up. But when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just take on some of my sins. Or he took these on, but not that one and this one over here. He took it all on. And if Jesus can forgive you, who are you not to forgive yourself? Who are you not to forgive someone else? Really? And he says, forget the past and look forward to what's ahead. Don't get sucked into the regrets of your past. Let it go. Let it go. Stop beating yourself up and move on. Imagine that you've got a, a, a runner in track and they're in the blocks. They're getting ready to take off. On your marks, get set, bam, they fire the gun. The guy takes off. A good runner maybe takes off and he's thinking, man, I didn't have a good start coming out of the blocks. I was a little slow. I kind of stumbled a little bit. But if that runner continues to focus on getting out of the blocks at the start of that race, he's probably not going to do very well. But what does he do? A good runner is going to say, okay, 
forget it. Move on. Come on, man. Pick it up. You got you to gotta, you gotta get past this guy. So do we do the same thing? Do we get stuck in the blocks? Oh, man, I remember when, and I said, and I did, and come on, man. Focus on what's ahead. Press on. He, Paul goes on to write, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. No, no, no. What does he say? What's the, the last word? For God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We're all in this race. We're in this race together. Sometimes it's a four-man relay. So my third point is, whose race are you running? Are you running God's race? When the Lord called us to Pioneer Life Fellowship, Pastor Christine was in Africa, and we'd just been through a horrible situation at a church where this pastor, I, I don't even really like to call him a pastor, this man that founded a church had horrible moral failure, and I knew that we were not to stay at that church, and uh, 180 people left, the leadership team left to go start another church, and I knew we weren't to be a part of that. And God spoke to me and, and said, basically, I'm calling you to start a church. And when my wife got back from Africa, I told her, I said, the Lord's calling us to start a church. She's like, mm-mm, not me. I know what that's like. I know what that's going to require. I said, well, you need to pray. And so we fasted and prayed for a number of months. And uh, one of my favorite things that she says to me on rare occasion is, you were right. <laughs> so, um, but here's the thing. We had the option to run God's race or say, no, I'm not going to run this race. So are you running God's race or are you running your own race? Are you running somebody else's race? God has called you to a specific race. He's given you a path. God's race for us is the best one because we are the victors when we run his race. The type of race matters too, right? You could be in a foot race. You could be in a car race. You could be in a bicycle race. You could be in a, a race that's competitive where you're running, a, uh, competing with someone else racing against someone else, or it could be a timed race. So we need to know the race that we're running. And we're running to present Christ to the world. That's our race. And in the process of the race, we're being built up. We're being strengthened. We're growing in our relationship with Him. God's race is a marathon. It's not a continual sprint. It's not, oh, I'm hot for God today. No, I'm cool. No, I'm hot for God today. No, I'm cool. It's not this thing. It's a continual marathon. It's a lifelong race. And so some people get in the race early in life, and they're trained up. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the ways of the Lord. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. And you know what's interesting? Let me bunny trail here a little bit. The next scripture talks about uh, stewardship. It says uh, people that, those that are in debt, become servants. They're, they're slaves to the lender. Interesting. I, I just saw that the other day. Are you guys reading through the book of Proverbs every day? Some? Yeah? No? Okay. Okay, well, all right. I want to encourage you to continue to read through the book of Proverbs. But let's determine to run the race the Lord has for us because it's important. 
Last week when we were at the chemo boardwalk, that was part of our race, that we go and reach out to the people in our community. Hundreds of people there. Some people responded to the altar call. When I, when I prayed the second prayer for those that wanted to get free, I saw a number of hands go up. People need to get free. Freedom is found through Christ. It's not found through the law. It's not found through religion. It's not found through the world's cultures and, and the things that the world presents. True free, freedom is found through Christ. Christ.